0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. So it is my pleasure to welcome everyone to a big episode, episode 300 of the podcast. So if you remember in recent history, our 200 episode, we did a panel interview where we brought on a bunch of different experts to talk about various maintenance and reliability topics. Today, we're going to do something similar. However, we're going to talk about the trends that we have seen over roughly the last 300 episodes or six years of the podcast. So to start it off, I'll introduce you to the panel guests that we have today. We'll start off with Eric Elder. Eric, can you introduce yourself? Hey
1: everybody, I'm Eric Elder. I work for Fluke Reliability as the field service manager for the Americas region. Uh, Our services consist of vibration analysis, precision alignment, thermography, ultrasound, oil analysis, pretty much anything that encompasses the reliability world. Um, and I've been with the organization now for nine years.
0: All right. Thank you, Eric. Maureen, I'll let you introduce yourself next. Sure.
2: It's uh, Maureen Gribble. I am the director of marketing for UE Systems. i um, been working here since about 2012, so it's been a long time um, and uh, happy to be here.
0: All right. Thank you. And Jenna, I'll have you go next.
3: Hi, I'm Jenna Johns. I'm the COO of RDI Technologies, and we are pioneering the camera as the sensor of the future in the industrial market with motion amplification.
0: All right. Thank you. And last but not least, Sean Eisenhower. Hi
4: guys. This is Sean Eisenhower. Great to be back on the podcast again. Uh, My, um, Of course, my background is reliability, consulting, training, education, uh, those sort of things. I work for Iridescio, and uh, I'm just really excited to kind of hear what everybody's seeing from a trend standpoint.
0: All right. Excellent. So to kind of start off, you guys all just recently had a conference, the Leading Reliability Conference what were the things you were seeing people asking about at that conference? Were there certain topics that they're asking more about this year than maybe some of the events you've done in the past or the virtual events? What were you guys seeing going through that conference? Maureen, I'll start with you for that one.
2: Well, um, it's a great question. I think first what we all commented on and all noticed was just, you know, after being not in the conference scene for so long or at least on in person, Um, We just noticed just how much more engaged everybody was, how much more eager people were to to talk with one another, to pick each other's brains, to lament, to celebrate, to, you know, whatever it was, Um, just a lot of really great in-depth conversation, which was really awesome. Um, And I think one of the main things that at least I heard that folks were really trying to get their arms wrapped around was how they could really implement the change, implement any kind of technology that they were going to take back that they really seem to want to get it right this time and, and really put in a good process for implementing you know, whatever new program or, or project they were going to do and not just take something back, which maybe was what the norm was and, and try and, you know, buy some new solution and, and hope it works. Um, people seem to really be committed to to learning that aspect of it and finding the resources to make that happen so that they could see that success. Cause I think everybody realized, especially through the pandemic, just how critical having good processes, good tools, good solutions in
0: place was. Um, so that that to me was some things that stuck out. All right. Excellent. Yeah. That whole change management piece is something, you know, over the last six years, people have expressed more interest and kind of scaled back and then more interest and then scaled back. And I think, you know, like you're mentioning, there's more and more interest in it because it's not, I can just get this tool and implement it. We got to figure out how we're actually going to get the organization to adopt it and sustain it. Eric. Eric. Go ahead.
1: I mean, one of the themes that I've heard that I feel like the pandemic probably uh, accelerated was kind of the knowledge gap, right? So, a lot of customers that I talked with were looking for solutions that were more from an online perspective where they didn't need the amount of resources that they may have had in the past or kind of knowledge and experience. So, you know, a lot of companies now just don't seem to have kind of the dedicated resources to maintenance. So equipment that does the job for them is, is a time saver. And the movement towards more of the predictive side of things also frees up those maintenance resources to do, you know, more proactive activities. And it was just kind of an ongoing theme that I heard from numerous individuals that, you know, like like Maureen just said, they, they have to get it right this time because the change is it matters, right? If you don't have the resources to be able to do something, you have to get it right and you have to implement the right solution.
0: Yeah, that's, that is one thing I will definitely say I've seen change very heavily over the last six years is I remember the first couple episodes of the podcast, you know, people were talking about how do you set up routes? What are the basics to vibration analysis? That type of thing. And I get less and less of those questions now. I get more of how do we pick the right sensors? How do we know where to put the sensors? And then how do we get an intelligent system to tell us when to go look at this asset or when to deal with it? Um, And I think that's a big evolution over the last six years is that when we started the podcast, there wasn't a huge amount of IOT out there. There was talk of it, people were developing it, but the machine learning side, the artificial intelligence side at least applied to uh, IOT wasn't really there, and now we're seeing that really develop, and people trying to take the uh, take advantage of it. Jenna, what have you seen in the conference over the past, you know, six years, that sort of thing, and going trends at this conference? What were people really asking about or trying to focus on?
3: Uh, yeah, so unfortunately, I didn't get to attend Leading Reliability. So the first thing I heard from everyone coming back was that I seriously missed out. Um, but one of the big things that I have heard from a lot of people, um, you know, in talking to them on feedback on, on what they learned there is that they're really looking to get more efficient with their time. They're not just looking to implement every solution. They're looking to implement solutions that, you know, save them time that help them work smarter, that help them get to a place where, um, They aren't just going through the motions of, of, like you mentioned, doing routes. They aren't just going through the motions of doing reliability without having some sort of benefit on the other side. So they're really looking at um, solutions and networks of solutions that really help them get to the meat of the problems, fix the problems, keep everything working without spending too much time in the process of getting there.
0: Now, that's interesting. Is it technology solutions or technology and You know, work process solutions? Is it a combination of business systems or management systems and technology or just more so technology?
3: I think it's a big combination of both. Um, And I think it's also on top of both of those, it's a training thing, right? People are looking to get their people to a point where they are doing the right things and understanding what they're doing, why they're doing it too. Um, So not only are there those, you know, process management sort of solutions technology solutions, but then there's that training element as well. That's really playing into it.
0: All right. Yeah. I am seeing the same sort of thing. You know, I'm going to go back to planning and scheduling the basics. A lot of people have a focus on that again, because it improves the efficiency of the work that's being done. You combine that with the technology, which makes us a little more effective and efficient at the same time. Organizations are really trying to push towards that. I, I think more recently in the last two years, It was always a conversation before, but I think between the pandemic, past failed implementations or improvements, as well as, you know, it's very hard to get people right now. All these things are coming together and really driving that. Sean, what what did you see? Yeah, I think
4: I'm kind of going to repeat some of the things that you guys said, but the big takeaways that I saw as trends out of the conferences um, that I've attended here recently, a couple things. One, as Maureen said, people are excited. They're excited to get back face to face and have some discussion. But they're also, I think, to take it a step further, they're excited to share what they've done during the pandemic season. And so I saw a lot of people that were really sharing some some really nice achievements that they've made over the last few months. Um, But on the other hand, it's kind of it is kind of the tale of two cities. On the other hand, I've heard a lot of people talk about how they're struggling uh, and they're struggling with a reason uh, for a reason that, James, you said just a second ago, Um, it's become very hard to get people. It's very, very hard, which feeds right into what Jenna said and, you know, what Eric said. Um, You know, when you can't get the people you need, you may not be able to get the skills you need. You certainly don't have the amount of people to get the work done. Uh, And I think that's going to become a big theme unless something changes over the next few months.
0: All right. Yeah. Working with clients, going to various trade shows, webinars, all those things everyone has that same concern not enough resources whether it's skilled trades whether it's planners team leads reliability engineers pdm techs you name it everyone's struggling with that sort of thing so with that being said eric what have you seen change over the last 6 years while you've been in this with this organization fluke reliability what have you seen through there is there a more dependence on pdm is it ebbing and flowing what do you see i mean from
1: from my perspective, <clears throat> starting out with proof technic and then being acquired by Fluke Reliability, um, it, it's, it's going from not just a product, right? That provides the solution. It's kind of the product plus the services aspect. So, you know, I've, a couple of us have touched on the lack of resources part to where a lot of the requests that I've seen for the hardware that we sell at least um, from a predictive side, a lot of customers are wanting us to do more of the data analysis aspect, right? So like we kind of feed, learn, uh, scan through the data and then kind of make recommendations based off of that. And I think that as the predictive analytics gets even better, there's also going to be less and less of even the human interaction with the system, which I think is a very kind of fascinating aspect of what we all do is that computing power has increased. We've already talked about the Internet of Things. More things can connect to the Internet, which means more things that can talk to people. But I also feel that this is a struggle area because how do you get everything kind of communicating on the same ecosystem? And from at least the fluke reliability world, you know that's one of the things that we're driving towards is to have everything on one ecosystem to get meaningful data because data is only one aspect of it. It's what do you do with that data after the fact? And I hear data, data, data all the time being talked about in the industry, but then it's the the second part and it's what do you do with that data and how do you get meaningful insight from it?
0: That is a big challenge with, you know, adding that context to that data, getting, you know, whether you have vibration data to line up with your ultrasound data, with your camera data, all those different things so we can actually tell the story. I have not seen a lot of organizations be able to achieve that, although that is something big that people have been talking about for a long time. Even before IOT, it was how do we get our route-based vibration data to align with our ultrasound data, for example.
4: Yeah, this is this one for me is one of those things that I think uh, whoever figures this out will be a big winner in the market space. I've been saying this for I don't know, at least four or five years, you know, if we can write the analytics to to look at vibration data and ultrasound data and infrared data and oil analysis and motor current analysis and and, and, really start to see micro trends in those. My belief is that we'll be able to head off some defects before they actually get created. You know, I kind of uh, compare it to a car. You know, if I can uh, if I can detect low air pressure really early before damage is done to the tire, then I am going to extend the life of that tire because I'm not introducing that defect. And I think there's a huge potential, uh, Eric. You know, in y'all's world especially with with what you can do from a connecting all the technologies together standpoint to be able to write the the algorithms and the analytics to be able to predict these things early before they hit the traditional band alarms and and, and traditional methods that we've used with the technologies.
1: Yeah. And the thing too is computers don't sleep, right? Where if you're using humans to kind of interact with the system and do the analysis, errors can be made and it's not a 24 seven, you know, monitoring. Right. So I think that's kind of the the advantage to the future state of, of what we all do.
2: And I think, you know, talking about that, and certainly that's where a lot of folks are are headed is to, you know, these online systems that are just, you know, continuously capturing data and hopefully actionable data and all those things. Um, And there are some groups that are able to jump on that and and get to that very sophisticated state where they're connecting all their data and and really using it to to be ahead of the game. But, you know, even just having been at a conference this week and talking with, with a ton of folks, not everybody's quite so fortunate to be there yet. So I think one of the things, even though in the last six years, even, you know, in the ultrasound world, our solutions have changed and our products have changed. Um, but we still have a lot of folks who are still, you know, using the traditional handheld and doing routes and things like that. And that's great and fine. Um, but I think one thing that, you know, all of us, you know, as kind of leaders in our industry um, need to be able to, um to support our customers at whatever level they're at and really be kind of that partner and help folks along. And I think especially with, with the workforce shortage and people leaving jobs and you get that one person who's all excited about the, the shiny new solution and then they leave, you know, I think folks need to really be looking for solution providers that, that are going to be there to to kind of help you along the way and fill in those gaps um, if if you're not quite, a, quite as far along as having a full-blown system with, with all the connected data and things like that. So just something to kind of keep in mind. We always need to be, you know, there to, to support everybody, whatever path they're on on their journey. Yeah, uh,
3: I, mean, I would agree with, I'd agree with Maureen. You know, I, everybody's talked a lot about how technology is, is rapidly advancing and, and, you know, all these benefits we get from the computing, you know, getting faster. Um, but one of the things we still surprisingly hear a lot from customers is that they are just starting out with a reliability program. So there are still a huge group of people out there who are just now getting to the point where they're ready to do this. Um, so we've got two different groups we really have to to focus on in this industry. There's this one who's super advanced and they're adopting all these technologies. And what's important to them is getting to the place where all these technologies talk to each other and work together. But then there's also this huge group of people who we need to get them started in this industry. We need to get them started in reliability and, and get them programs that work from a base level as well.
4: Jenna, I, sorry, I stepped on you a little bit there. We were thinking the exact same thing. And and that's that's one of the trends that I have definitely seen uh, is this dichotomy or this splitting of the industry where you've got the folks that are kind of ready, like you said, to advance. And then you got the others who are just getting started. And and back to kind of what Maureen was saying, they need those handheld units. You know, you can't just jump in. I mean, I guess you could, but I don't think I would recommend just jumping in and buying, you know, a ton of great technology if you've never done a vibration router, you've never done an infrared router, you've never done any of those basic things to understand how it works and the machinery dynamics and, and why we do what we do do? Um, because I, I think you would really have a lack of understanding of the failure modes and, and what to expect in the technology.
1: And I want to comment too, that I think the advantage of this leading reliability conference is with all of us kind of partnering with it, right? We can offer the customer or anybody a, a solution along that journey, right? We're not just catering to somebody that's advanced or somebody that's at the beginning because we want to meet them where they are, and, and ensure that we increase reliability in general. And I think that's a word that has increased in use in industry overall, and people are starting to realize kind of the, the impact of having a more reliable, sustainable program at their facility.
0: And, you know, with that, that's one of the things that I say I can, I have seen change significantly over the last six years is more organizations are focused on improving reliability. Um, Six years ago, yeah, there were many organizations that were doing it and those are the ones now that are looking to advance and adopt all these technologies and that sort of thing. But there is still not a huge adoption of it, whereas now I see more and more organizations asking those questions. They might just be starting, but at least they're starting now. Um, They're realizing it's not just improving uptime, but also really enabling improvements in environmental performance health and safety performance within the organization compliance all those other things they're beginning to make those connections and more and more organizations are taking it as a strategic approach Um, and I think that's one of the big things that I've seen change over that over those six years this podcast is brought to you by Iridescio be sure to check out Iridescio's IBL blended learning for maintenance and reliability professionals This SMRP accredited project-based curriculum will take you through all aspects of a maintenance and reliability program and provides you with all the tools you need to generate a 30 times return on investment for your organization and a set of credentials from the University of Tennessee for you. You can find out more at ibltraining.com. Now with that more responsible approach to managing our assets, I think people are looking at different areas of the asset lifecycle as well. Um, Jenna, I'm going to pick on you guys for a moment over there at RDI, but I see a lot of organizations now that once they do an install, they're not just relying specifically on vibration to validate that it's aligned properly. They're using the cameras that you guys provide to verify that there's no issues in the foundation. There's no issues with bolting or anything like that to ensure that that asset's gonna be there for the long term and it's installed correctly. with yeah, being- we've
3: seen we've seen a lot of that. So one of the things that we hear a lot are uh, is, is people are getting these, these big machineries, these big pieces of equipment, you know, put into their facilities. They're spending a lot of money trying to upgrade um, some of this aging infrastructure that they have, um, but they don't have a really good idea or a really good way to quickly verify that it's put in properly. And I think as we all know that, you know, right at the beginning of install is, is a huge point of failure. It's a, it's a really big jump in that curve where things can go wrong right after there. Um, and so what, this, what our technology allows them to do, and, and one thing they use it for quite a bit, is going in there and really quickly, you know, detecting if everything was done properly, if the, the bases look right, if everything looks attached properly, because all they have to do is take a quick video. Um, And then they can use that in communication with those OEMs to make sure it gets put in right the first time. Um, And that is, I mean, that's a huge step for them in reliability because they know they're not starting out with faults and they're not starting out with anything that they're going to have to manage long-term over the life of this equipment.
1: Yeah. I mean, even to second what Jenna said, right. Even for our service team or fluke reliability team um, we utilize an RDI camera along with our vibration equipment, right? The two technologies aren't necessarily competing, they're advantageous to kind of have both in in this environment. So,
0: and I think that's one of the things that I'm seeing with a lot of clients as well Is you know, in the past, you had an RE who just loved vibration, and that was the solution for everything. Or you had someone who just loved ultrasound. And what I see more and more is that complementary approach as well. You walk into some of the PDM groups that I'm working with right now, and they got ultrasound, thermography, vibration, they got the RDI cameras, they got laser alignments, they got all these different things. And they're being pragmatic at how they actually leverage those to not only install the assets correctly, but monitor them. And if they do find an issue, they're using the complementary tools to validate that it really is an issue. Where in the past, I didn't always see that approach. It was, oh, we got a warning here, execute, replace it. We're not seeing that anymore.
2: And I think that, um, just to jump in, I think we're also seeing that from the um, solution provider side as well. You know, we certainly, uh, from UE Systems' perspective, you know, we very well understand that a a good program is going to include not just ultrasound, but some infrared vibration, motion amplification, things like that, to where, you know, I think we're also being able to better serve you know, the industry by, you know, showing people what we have to offer and then saying, hey, you know, go down to to Booth 501 where RDI Technologies is and see what they've got. We think that would probably be really helpful to you as well. And, you know, by the way, you should also check out you know, what Fluke Reliability is doing with their CMMS program. And then, you know, talk to Iridescio. They'll help you tie it all together. So I think what's nice is I think the industry, all of us, we've all kind of grown up and realized we're all better together. I know that sounds cheesy, but I think um, I think it really is true. You know, the, the, the um, customer is going to be better off with, with a, a nice complement of, of tools. And then, of course, better
0: customers, more successful customers leads to more customers for us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, the one question I have is, you know, we kind of talked about what we saw over the last six years. What what are the next six years going to bring? What do you think is going to change? What do you think is going to stay the same? What do you foresee happening?
4: All right, I'll jump in on this one to get it started and then uh, we'll pass it out to you guys. But I think one of the things that I I, I think is for sure going to stay the same, uh, planning is still going to be important. Scheduling is still going to be important. Managing your MRO stores is still going to be important. Uh, You know, applying technology is still going to be important. I think some of the methodologies and some of the, the ways we do these things, I think, um, is going to change, but I think those are still going to be the basics, the foundation. They're, they're going to they're gonna be there for the long term. Um, some of the things that I think may change, um, I, I, I certainly hope what I said earlier actually happens. You know, I hope somebody puts together all of the, the, the right technology to be able to detect these defects so early on the P to F curve that uh, we can make changes and avoid the, 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 the beginning of the defect right? And so I think that's a big thing that I'm looking forward to and, and hoping to see someone uh, bring to the market. What about the rest of you guys? Uh,
3: from our perspective, you know, one of the things I think we see as never changing is the fact that um, people are going to need to operate reliable, reliably to be able to, you know, be competitive against things like price pressures mm-hmm. and, and all of these other outside market forces. Um, so the companies that we service and, and we work with, they're all going to have that same consistent problem of figuring out a way to balance cost savings and, you know, maintaining reliable equipment. Um, One of the things we see happening over the next six years um, are a shift to think like responses to shortages of people. Um, I think that we're going to start seeing robotics being utilized. Um, I know you'll see you see stuff with like Boston Dynamics with them putting stuff on spot and having that go out and do routes and utilize and utilize that in, in a route based method. Um, So I do think we'll see a lot of of robotics and, you know, just increased technology. And I have full faith, Sean, that someone is going to come up with what you want. I think that we will see that for sure in the next six years because enough people have talked about it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think for the next six years, it's just going to be cracking the code on what you do with all this data. And I I can't imagine that how quickly we kind of watch just, I mean, I use the example of iPhone generations and how things change and smart devices and what communicates together. I I really think that this is going to be the kind of future state of of industry. And, you know, the other area that I've heard tossed around often is, you know, the gray tsunami, which is people retiring that hold the knowledge and kind of that That knowledge gap. And I think that the successful organizations are going to try to get ahead of it somehow, whether that's more robust training or whether that's kind of utilizing the tools uh, necessary. I I think those are kind of the two big areas that you're going to see increase heavily over the next six years.
2: Yeah, definitely finding a way to bring along this next generation of of maintenance and reliability professionals, getting kids and college kids excited about joining this industry is going to be a huge um, thing that we're going to be tackling. I think in the next six plus years, um, so it'll be interesting to see how we, as an industry, come together to to try and solve that. Um, you know, as a collective, because it's it's going to be something that impacts everybody. So we will see what the future brings.
4: Well, I think you guys have all got a good opportunity to uh, to help with that piece because you know everybody loves some good motion amplification or some ultrasound. Uh, I'm gonna be honest, it's a little bit harder sometimes to get the younger generation excited about planning a job.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna be next, it's gonna be a very interesting <clears throat> six years, I think coming up. I think all the things you guys mentioned is definitely going to be there, but I also think there's gonna be some fundamental shifts. So Maureen, you touched on it about skilled trades, getting people into that workforce. That's going to become—it's already a focus, but it's got to become a bigger focus. And I think with the addition of some of the technology things, we're going to see a significant shift in the way maintenance is performed. Um, You know, right now we we teach a metric. We typically expect people to spend about thirty percent of their time on proactive maintenance. You know, PMs, PDMS. I'm thinking that's going to shift dramatically, and that's going to come down because we're going to be leveraging the IIoT sensors and all the networks and all those things you guys have and reduce that number significantly because the sensor are gonna be collecting that data. So now we have technicians more focused on that corrective or what I think is gonna become very, very important in the next six years is prescriptive maintenance. We identify these things are going on. Let's make this correction now and eliminate that potential failure from even occurring. I think we're gonna see more and more of that but that's only possible with the technology that you you guys are providing. And I think the other thing that's really going to play into it is we're going to see more and more of the technology piece with some of the planning and scheduling, some of the materials management pieces. And we're starting to see bits and pieces of that now, but I think it's become even more connected. And that's how we're, I think we're going to get the younger generation excited about planning and scheduling, setting in maxes for parts, that type of stuff, is we're going to have to leverage the full suite of technology. For example, if we're detecting an issue with vibration or ultrasound or the RDI camera, we can link that into the CMMS, know when we actually need to order that part, get to an just on time delivery for those longer failure modes. You know, we may carry bare minimums for emergency, but we can start to link our actual maintenance strategy to dynamic ordering of spare parts. I think we're gonna to start to see more and more of that. But once again, we need someone to put that code together.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, from my standpoint, too, some of the things he's talking about there, and it, it's taking what you guys do to the next level, right? It's, it's taking what you guys do and using that information to uh, change my ordering habits, change my stocking habits. I mean, you know, if I talk, and I love to talk in exaggerations because I think it helps people understand, but if you think about it, even though I know I'm exaggerating, at the end of the day, our storeroom is simply an insurance plan against our unreliability. And if we can increase the reliability of facilities by detecting things earlier with the things you guys are talking about, if we can get our supply chain where it needs to be to be able to predict and know when those parts are going to arrive, then I don't have to have a huge storeroom. I don't have to have a copy of every single part uh, and every single asset on the shelf in that storeroom. And so there could be some really, really big organizational or, more almost ecosystem level changes that could happen over the next five to six years.
2: Just got to find a way to gamify it and the the new kids can live stream themselves doing the work on Facebook and we'll be good to go.
3: Now, Maureen, I know you were joking on that one, but I have seen some. I was going to say, I do think that one of the ways we get this next generation involved in this problem is by shifting it to a technology problem instead of a pump and motor problem. um, Because that technology problem is a little more exciting to them and a little bit more in their wheelhouse already. And I have seen um, a couple startups trying to come out of the lab here and um, University of Tennessee looking at trying to solve some of these things and just trying to look at technology problems. Um, and they're excited about it. So I think that that really is some of the shift in thinking we have to have is as, as creating this technology problem where they can create technology solutions um, versus thinking it, about it as just, you know, fixing equipment. 100%.
1: Yeah. And I want to say, I mean, it it kind of leads into our mission as Fluke Reliability and using eMate for the CMMS and having some of our, you know, sensors, whether they're wired or wireless, it's really kind of going down that path you talked about, Sean, which is, hey, there's a problem and my CMMS actually orders the part for me and it's there. It schedules the work order. And I mean, it, it's, to me, it's very, a very exciting time to kind of be in this this IOT environment and connecting everything in the ecosystem.
0: So here's a question. You know, you guys are more in the technology space part of it than I am. I fully agree. That's where we want to go. That's how we want to get there. But there's so many organizations, I think to your, some of your earlier points that they're just starting on this journey. They don't even have bill of materials that tell them what parts belong to what piece of equipment. How do we bridge that gap? So in six years, as an example, we're able to deploy this type of technology and really leverage what we have.
1: I mean, I think I heard Sean say this in the, con- or in the conference, maybe bring it back to the basics, right? Just because you have kind of the, the, the large system that provides everything, it doesn't mean that you don't offer the basics. And I think that's kind of a, the nature of solution selling is making sure that you meet the customer where they're at.
4: Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the things that this group does really well, because, you know, we all complement each other as part of leading reliability. And, you know, we're bringing um, we're bringing, as you said earlier, we're bringing the solution to where they are at that time. And, uh, the you know, and we we. You know, we struggle with with getting folks to, to do some of those basic uh, basic functions that James is talking about things like hierarchy and criticality and and just planning a job or starting a job plan library and you know all those enable the technologies to work better because the technologies give us the heads up, uh, but if we don't take advantage of that time do we really get you know the the value that we could have out of that technology and and in some cases the answer is no not all but some cases the answer is no so uh, i think that's that's going to be a big one moving forward is getting folks to to tackle the basics so that they can really have success with the with the stuff that we all bring yeah.
3: i would say well, let, let me came to this let, industry. let me let you talk Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say as someone who came to this industry as as kind of a noob, and I will say I am a millennial too, like six years ago. <laughs> um, one of the things that i I really noticed is that there um, it, it plays on what you guys are talking about. But there is, you know, a lot of talk about these really advanced, you know concepts and thoughts at most of the conferences you go to. Um, and for someone who's new, that can be really overwhelming. And, and the way that we really try and distill it, and I think, you know, Sean, your team does a really good job of this as well, um, is is by talking about it like a toolbox, right? So this is the toolbox you need to solve the problems and here's what you use when this is your problem. Um, and just getting people those basic building blocks and and so that it's not this overwhelming puzzle they're all solving at once, they can start with one piece of the toolbox and solve one issue, and then you know when they're they feel comfortable with that, move on to the next.
4: Very cool, thank you, and sorry for stepping on you there. Well, I'm gonna flip the script a little bit here and and turn this back on James. I mean, this is James's big 300 here. So, James, you know, you look at it. You've been at this six years. What are some of the things that you really see that have come and gone? What are some of the things that you would say
0: um, have come and stayed? Yeah, I would say. You know, over the last 300 episodes, ISO 55000 came on fairly strong and has faded, at least here in North America. Uh, Overseas, you may see more adoption, but over here, that has faded significantly. IoT, I'll be honest, I was a big skeptic when it first came out because if you don't have the basics right, it's very hard to make the rest of that work. But I'm seeing the companies that do the basics well leverage it, leverage IoT now, and see those types of improvements. And I think. The technology side of this is really going to accelerate over the next six years. I don't, I don't think that's going away, um, especially with a lot of the constraints we have—people, skills, knowledge. I think that's just going to become more and more important. And I think one of the other things that that's going to lead to is a more dynamic approach to maintenance. So we talked about a little bit about prescriptive maintenance previously, but I think it's going to take it beyond just that. It's going to be looking at, you know, our traditional asset criticality approach. Right now, we do it once a year, we do it once every six months, stuff of that nature. And we may have changes in the organization that, we're not, that are not reflected in that. So, for example, if we have a technology solution for criticality that's plugged directly into SAP, we can see production planning forecasts, we can see all those different things, and it may change that criticality in real time. Same thing if it we're plugged into eMate with some of the other ERP systems, we might be able to see that dynamically change what work we're doing based on future demands, short-term demands, those types of things. I think we're really going to see technology start driving some of the basics we have to that next level.
4: Uh, That's a great point, James. Very good. Anything else that you can think of that you, when you think back, I mean, six whole years, 300 episodes, when you think back, is there anything you talked about in that first year that you think is really different now?
0: I'm not going to say it's different, but, to your point, the basics keep coming up. People still need to understand how we do planning and scheduling. How do we build a bill of material? How do we build asset hierarchy? Because it connects to all these other pieces, the technology side. Um, so I think those are gonna those are definitely gonna stay. The one thing, Maureen, you touched on early on was the change management side. That is something that people seem to provide have an interest in, then it kind of fades away, has an interest kind of fades away. I think that's going to become more and more important because every person I talk to on the podcast from a technology standpoint, what's the biggest challenge of getting that technology in place? Getting the stakeholders on side, getting IT engaged and involved in improving it, and then getting the adoption. And the only way we do that is through the change management. So I think that is here to stay. Um,
4: so leadership and people and change management, uh, and then the basics as we've already mentioned. Yep. And then if you have those, then the technology can accelerate. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for letting me flip the script a little bit. I'll turn it back over to you though. You're a little better at this.
2: (laughs) Well, James, hold on. I'm going to jump in. I just want to say, you know, congratulations to you for, you really were one of the first, maybe even the first podcast out there in our industry. And boy, if you haven't, um, created a lot of folks who've, who've wanted to emulate what you've been doing and, and that's, we're all the better for it that, that there's now, you know, obviously your podcast that we can all go to and and some additional resources. So we're all trying to learn and, and do better at our jobs. And you certainly have helped us do that as well. So congratulations, 300 is huge.
0: Congratulations, James. Thank you. It is, uh, it's only been possible with the guests like yourself, Sean, Eric, Jenna, I think this is your first one, but it's all guests like you guys that make this possible. I could not have done it myself and everyone that's been on has been part of the making of that 300. So I thank everyone. Now, as we kind of wrap this up, quick question, going back to leading reliability, kind of back where we started. You know, you guys started off with some smaller one day events. You did some virtual events. Now you did a larger conference. What's next with leading leading reliability? Well, I'll talk about a little bit of this, and, and you guys can jump in, too, as you uh, as
4: you want to add details, but uh, we've got a, a one-day winter event coming up. Uh, we've got a webinar series in 2022 that you'll start to hear and see more of, uh, and then we've got our face-to-face conference coming up in May, uh, and I'll let everybody else chime in on any of those that they would like to, but uh, you can get more information at www.leadingreliability.com.
2: Yeah, so it'll be, um, we're looking for February out west for the one-day event. So, again, just to kind of keep your ears open for that. Um, And then the conference will be, yeah, May 10 through 12 in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And we already have um, nine people registered for it um, for
0: being October, for a May event. We're pretty excited. Off to a good start. Can I make a suggestion and do it like Jackson Hole, Wyoming in February?
2: (laughs) I've been watching that Yellowstone show. That sounds good to me. I don't know. (laughs) Love to see what it's like out there.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank you all for taking the time. Any parting words, Eric, Jenna, Maureen, Sean, before we go?
3: I was just going to say that I am excited to see everyone at the next event and I definitely will not miss it. So we're really looking forward to it and and looking forward to kind of getting back in person and, and getting to see everyone.
1: Yeah, I second what Jenna said. I mean, kind of being in person really, I think there's more of a focus from individuals about what the content is and doing kind of the online versus in-person shows. I truly think the in-person has a a, a greater advantage from a learning perspective.
2: Yeah, it's a community to be a part of growing and and building and looking forward to seeing where this leading reliability brand takes all of us um, and and what it looks like six years from now.
4: Absolutely. I can't say it any better than you guys did. So I'm going to leave it there. But thanks
0: again for having us on the show. Uh, I appreciate it, James. Yeah, thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. Hopefully we'll be able to pull you all back together between now and episode 600 and get in a little bit more details um, on you know, some of the specific things you guys are seeing. So thank you so much. I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on Maintenance Reliability and Asset Management at www.irridescio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.